Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Melano Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and along with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner of Cognitive Behavior Institute, we welcome you to this week's episode of the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Behavioral Health. This week's guest, we have Matt McLett, who is the Director of Clinical Operations at NeuroFlow, and he is tasked with the digital health and direct clinical service strategies of the company. Matt is also the Executive Director and Co-Founder of the nonprofit Action Tank, a military veteran and a psychiatric and mental health board certified registered nurse. So Matt, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, we're very excited to have you as a guest on the Barrier Breakdown. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what exactly is NeuroFlow? Sure. Thank you guys so much for having me today. You know, um, NeuroFlow, what, what we're really trying to do is, is do three things. And, and as a nurse, I like to make things nice and simple. That's that's certainly how I like to, to make things make sense in my own head. Um, you know, first thing, first and foremost, what we're doing is measurement. So thinking about how do we be able to measure outcomes remotely when patients are outside of that clinic setting? So you can think about things that are really traditional, like validated health assessments, whether that's like the PHQ-9 for depression or GAD-7 for anxiety, um, but trying to go beyond that, right? So not just the validated measures, but also thinking about things like subjective scores. So how mood scores, uh, sleep, um, how, are, how are your pain ratings today? Things like that. And then also pulling more and more passive measurement in. So you can think about things like wearables and what's being collected on your smartphone. So, you know, a big, big feature that we use is like step count. So you can think about where step count and things like that would really matter in mental health. When you think about somebody with depression who maybe is going from an average of 5,000 steps a day down to now just a few or somebody with like cocaine use disorder, right? Maybe you see that jump way up. So being able to then really take and collect that data. And what we do next is then make it actionable, right? So taking that measurement piece and then converting it into how do we help clinicians really be able to monitor and identify which patients in their caseload are the most at risk and maybe could use that reach out or could use that extra content. Um, so we do a couple couple of ways we do that, but really through, through some dashboarding and, and, and it's a two-sided platform where we have the patient that's inputting it and everything's flowing back into a cloud-based platform. And we also integrate with EHRs. So we can get into that more later as well. But all that data then flows back to the provider to help make informed clinical decisions with some clinical decision support, et cetera. And then finally, the last thing we're doing, which I think is, is arguably the most important part is really motivating and engaging those patients. So what we're trying to do is, is individually tailor the type of content and resources that a patient would get based on everything I just talked about. So, so if Kevin here is, is um, we identify of him as having depression, we could really target him with, with resources uh, around depression. What is depression? What are these symptoms like? And start to introduce some concepts um, before they even step foot in the office or help them understand what they can do about it. And that's true of looking at social, social determinants, a bunch of other outcomes as well, is really trying to target an individualized care and make it interesting and fun and engaging for the patient to be a part of. You know, our typical uh, viewer here is, is individual practice, small group practice, or moderate-sized group practice. What does a typical user look like of NeuroFlow, and and you know how do you how do you how, so what does that look like? What is your typical user? 
Sure, sure. Um, so originally our tool was built for and, and by the behavioral health specialist, right? So that was that was our run-of-the-mill practice and 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 more uh, really built built around biofeedback. So some people that know about us from years back might think about us as a biofeedback company, which which we've we've moved away from a bit. Um, and what we realized is that what we really built was a great engine, not just for behavioral health specialists and practices, but now we're really moving to the physical health setting. So those integrated health providers that are working directly with primary care specialists or, or chronic pain um, settings where you're treating a whole patient, right? So we're not just focused on mental health, but in these integrated health settings is really where our cornerstone of where we're, we're making the most impact. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why that is, right? There's a lot more reimbursement potential for, for them for doing these activities. Um, and we're also working a lot with population health organizations. So you can think like employer groups and, and payers where they are really invested in, in saving money, right? And thinking about the return on investment in, in connecting people with resources and, and uh, providing these self-management tools to individuals. So, so run of the mill, basically the three populations we work with is still supporting and helping the behavioral health specialist, um, you know, who may be a solo practitioner or working in, in a, uh, a mental health setting. Um, but really, really our focus today is on the behavioral health integration space um, where you're in the physical health settings and then working with population health organizations as well. Yeah, you highlighted two things, savings as well as reimbursement. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Uh, help us understand what that, what, what that means specifically. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I think coming from a academia and the clinical space before this, right, I didn't have to think too much about, about business in the past. So that certainly has changed uh, with Neuroflow. But we know that that people need, need to, um, at the very least, break even. But our goal is to help people uh, make money for doing the right thing. So there are a number of, of reimbursable CPT codes or billing codes uh, for individuals that integrate behavioral health into their practice. So by, by taking the time to monitor a patient and, and treat their whole uh, the whole patient, right? So they're not just their physical health, but their mental health. There's additional revenue codes there where they can generate new revenue. Um, a couple of ways we can dig into that. But we also know when you look at a bunch of the reporting and, and you know, maybe we can put out like the Milliman report or something if, in this podcast, but looking at how, how much uh, people with both co-occurring mental health and physical health conditions cost, it, it's quite staggering, right? We're talking two to three times more expensive from an individual that has a co-occurring mental health and physical health disorder compared to just those with the physical health disorder, um, particularly those with diabetes and asthma and a lot of these chronic conditions that are incredibly common. Um, so this is more and more seen in, in the population health setting as, as not just something that they want to treat, but need to treat in order to stay in business. Um, so, so really when the cost driver there is, is less on the reimbursement front, but more on, on kind of the value-based care, um, certainly understanding that that's a really important driver. When you talk about integration, are you working more with open systems versus closed systems? Uh, so I know one particular area, like in Western PA, you have these two large health systems, Allegheny Health Network and UPMC. Uh, oftentimes there's this... Uh, it's kind of piecemeal, particularly behavioral health side. It's not really all within the capture within the system. You have a lot of private practices and integration. Mm -hmm. We have worked with some integration with the quartet health. We've made her, uh, we've actually had the CEO here. So we understand the value based, but uh, you know, so what systems are you using and how does that all look from a billing perspective? Is that on the physician side? Is that on the behavioral health side? Because I'm with you, the impact study out of uh, mm -hmm. out West really shows integration is important, but I'd like to hear more about your, your perspective on that. Sure, sure. Um, you know, what, what, I want to take a step back and kind of say, like, the reason why I even came to Neuroflow and, and, and what, what sold me on, on what we're doing is 
the fact that we are incredibly customizable and flexible where we fit into different settings. Right. So your question, your question is about open versus closed systems. Um, we work with both. Right. And, and where, where the power really comes from that is uh, a, a great call out would be maybe our work with the Department of Defense or, or down with Health First in Florida, where these are these are really single payer kind of networks. Right. Where they're working using their own resources um, and, and really kind of uh, uh, using what they have available to deliver these evidence based delivery models with what they have on hand. And we're just driving them with the text services, right? And then we have other systems who um, maybe maybe are more open and, and kind of um, are have struggled to do integration in the past. And what we can do is actually we can bring the staffing with us too. So not only can we just be the tech solution, but now more and more actually offering staffing solutions for them as well. Um, number of health systems have said, look, we've tried doing psychiatric collaborative care in the past. Um, we failed at it because it, it's too burdensome. We were losing money. We weren't able to fill up these registries. So when we're able to come kind of with this turnkey solution now where we can provide this behavioral health care management and the psychiatric consultant as part of that system and really helping to, to fill a need. Um, back to question of that, that piece. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, we see we see the psychiatric collaborative care model as as um, you know, one of the ways we're going to solve the behavioral health crisis that we have in this country, right? We know 50% of the counties in the US don't have a single psychiatrist, right? It's probably not news to anybody that's listening to this podcast. Um, so the way we need to start thinking about mental health is how do we treat it uh, at, at our physical health setting where, where our whole health is being treated. So if you don't know about psychiatric collaborative care model, I'm sure we could do a whole podcast just on that. But, um, but what our goal is, is to be a cloud-based registry where, um, and our goal is we we're doing this today. So today we are a cloud-based registry where we're able to connect folks, um, remotely. So even if your organization doesn't have a psychiatrist on site ready, ready to uh, do psychiatric collaborative care, or you struggle to find the bandwidth to get behavioral health care managers, uh, we can bring that with us where um, they'll be close by and be able to be in your region if they need to be on site. But with the tools we have today to do telehealth, right, we're able to connect folks together and be able to deliver a, a really uh, unique and, and custom a customer specific workflow to be able to deliver psychiatric collaborative care. So we're doing that at a few locations now. Uh, we're in kind of what we call our beta phase um, as we grow out and, and really, really make our registry what we think is going to be, be the top of class, right, in, in, the, in the country. When you say registry, can you speak to what that means exactly? And then what states are you currently doing that in? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So when we say registry, what we mean is uh, a, a place where um, a care manager can manage their caseload, right? So when we are able to then sort and identify which patients should I be outreaching first today, which patients should I be flagging for review to speak with my psychiatric consultant? How do I count these burdensome minutes that I have to count for in order to get to um, the, the time requirements to be able to bill for these codes, right? So all of these things, notes, um, being able to track all these metrics, being able to identify who's most at risk, and then push all of that to the EHR to be able to connect everybody together. So it's really a tool for the um, mostly for the care manager to be able to most uh, to most effectively manage their caseload um, while also bringing in that site consult so that they can also track and see these trends and get some clinical decision support along the way. Okay. You had mentioned, Matt, that you work with several different EHRs and I think that component of having it integrated is huge because that streamlining is one way to save time. And as we all know, time equals money. Um, can you speak to a few, a, few, a few of who your partners are uh, for the EHRs that you are working with? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, 
it's funny because whenever I talk about EHR integration, it wasn't something we wanted to do, right? It was something we had to do because providers would not adopt any solution where they have to come into a, a you know, often what is a third or fourth platform, right, to do their work. Um, so there are two uh, EHRs that we are fully integrated with. So we're in Athena and in the Epic. Uh, we're both in the Epic App Store and can um, also connect on the back end. I want to get over my head very quickly talking about Fire and, and the APIs. Um, but uh, but simple answer is we're with Athena and Epic, and of course rolling out with, with more here in the future, scoping out quite a few. You know, I know Aaron. That, those are great questions. Some of the things that still come to mind is the billable piece. So is the billable piece happening more in the closed system rather than the open system from the behavioral health provider versus the the medical provider? Got it. Yeah. So you know. It, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anybody listening that billing as a behavioral health provider is tough. Um, you know, some of the billing codes that medical providers can bill for behavioral health specialists cannot, uh, you know, often even like mental health screenings, um, we're finding that um, maybe the behavioral specialist can only bill annually for doing that versus uh, in the physical health setting where a PCP can be billing every visit they come in. Um, so I, I think we're having, uh, I think the behavioral health specialists see challenges with billing. And, and that's part of why that's not really our strategy moving forward. And we're gonna be looking to give a solution that's that's a very, uh, very much at a price point for behavioral specialists moving forward, understanding that they're not gonna have that same reimbursement potential as someone like a PCP or, or other kind of physical health setting would. Um, because I think, I think you know, we're kind of hitting the nail on the head here that where the reimbursement potential really lies is with that medical provider uh, and inside those, those physical health clinics because they have a lot more options and are able to, um, to bill, for, bill for more, quite frankly. Gotcha. You were talking about motivation earlier, particularly with these chronic health conditions that are most costly to insurers like cancer, uh, obesity, diabetes. Mm -hmm. How are you seeing NeuroFlow helping as far as your, your what data do you have to support, is, is, as I hear you describing, better outcomes, right? So if you're less obese, you know, your A1C hemoglobin is lower, you're more active, less side effects, less medication. Safe. So how is NeuroFlow specifically doing that? Because I've worked with integrative uh, patients, being a registered nurse in the past myself. Uh, and what I know is that these are some of the clients that have the least motivation, or I should say biggest barriers to being yeah. motivated. So what are you seeing uh, with, with numbers? I'm curious to hear. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think what we hang our hat on is our engagement numbers, right? So maybe I'll, maybe I'll just start there. Um, you know, we have 76% of our patients coming back after one month. That's, if you, if you look at industry standard for digital health solutions, that's, that's far and away above everybody else. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? And we're not hiding behind it. We use behavioral economics, right? And a lot of engagement strategies to keep patients coming back. So, you know, you gain points for doing activities, completing your assessments. Those points can be redeemed for gift cards right inside the platform, right? Uh, we have dynamic features where every time you log in, the app looks a little different. There's a different comic. There's different quotes for me to see, right? So we, we're really using kind of best in class and, and kind of engagement strategies used in consumer products in order to drive engagement on our mental health platform. Um, more kind of on the outcomes approach and, and more in thinking about quality metrics, um, What's great about being a, 
platform that is capturing things like PHQ-9 and GAD scores is we can literally measure in real time what are the outcomes for individuals, right? So, um, so we're seeing quite impressive uh, depression remission and reduction scores. Um, I, I can get those free. I, I don't want to misquote myself. So maybe I can get you those to you guys after this call or, or after this podcast to, to post, you know, we can post it wherever. Um, but, you know, that's, but what's most important anyway is, is we're not a digital therapeutic. So even if, even if you said, cool, Matt, um, you know, you guys have great outcomes. It's not because of us. It's because we're giving out this, giving this data back to providers in a useful way that they're able to act on and make the, make the treatment changes, you know, within 10 to 12 weeks uh, of not seeing depression remission, like they should be. Um, and that's, that's really where we think we're, we're having an impact is not so much the great curriculums and we have some really cool digital health content, but where the evidence is, is showing that measurement-based care works and it's not being done. So that's where we think we're having such a big impact and, and, and why we're seeing the uh, outcomes we are. So we know, uh, Matt, that outcomes-based uh, reimbursement is something that is coming down the pike. Does Neuroflow see how they can be helpful to achieve, um, you know, increased outcomes for patients uh, who are using, you know, this type of enhancement? Oh, 100%. Um, you know, the, this pay for performance, right? Often as we refer to it, where um, if you increase your quality metric scores, you're going to get reimbursed for it as you should. Um, and there are a number of ways that not only are we helping with that, but we've demonstrated we've helped with that. So, you know, I've said PHQ-9 enough, and, and that's obviously when we think about depression metrics, that's, that's what that's what the standard is. Um, but there are other areas where we've already shown improvement. So working with, uh, with the Jefferson Health System, uh, we showed that we were able to reduce ED admissions uh, by 30%. Um, and these are not measures beyond, these are not just mental health measures, right? When we know that when we work on somebody's mental health, we're going to impact these other utilization metrics around inpatient hospitalization and EED utilization and, um, and A1C scores, right? There's a lot of evidence to show that all of these things will be impacted if we can only um, intervene and help treat their mental health. You know, I think we'll have two more final questions. One that sticks in my mind as I hear you talk is, is take us inside the insurer's mind. You know, when they're looking at a behavioral health care provider, what are they looking to see? Really what I'm looking to give the secret sauce to all these clinicians out there is how should we be performing? And I know sometimes we can get stuck as providers from behavioral health is because we have one way we think we need, we need uh, to provide care. But when we have the payers kind of dictating that, I think it'd be nice for us to be able to front run them a little bit, understand where their thinking process is gonna be as far as their expectations of us when they're reimbursing us six months, one year, five years. So if you could help us, if you are a provider uh, on the on the insurer side, what do you think they're looking at? Give us the recipe of what they're looking at when they talk about outcomes, and what are they what are they looking? What are they massaging as far as data behind the scenes? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I think insurers are are struggling with how to think about mental health and how to measure it. I think that's why again we have so many metrics that we we capture on. Uh, through Neuroflow, I mean, like 20 validated assessments and, and these uh, these great risk scores we're able to produce and things. But it all comes down to like PHQ and, and depression remission, depression reduction, right? And that's that's kind of what we need to think about is is how do we look at depression reduction and reduction and remission scores um, as a provider to be able to show and demonstrate um, that we are treating the patient 
um, and that we're getting the outcomes that we want. So as a behavioral health provider, those are the metrics I'd be looking for. And, and how do I be able to capture those? Uh, is that something I, I'm able to get through my EHR? Um, you know, we download, we have those reports available where you can actually look at first and last and compare and look at reduction remission, things like that. That's, that's why that's a big, big component of what we're trying to do. Um, because we know, you know, as you get into value-based contracting and things, you know, you might be able to see cost savings by individual patients. But really, if you want to get into those arrangements, um, you know, you're going to have to start by showing that you're, you're having an impact. And that's one great way to do it is just show the reductions uh, that you're able to do. Because if you're doing the right thing, they're going to come. How do, you show, how do you get that data on their side? Because ultimately, some of that medical data and, and cost, we don't, we don't have vis vision of. And I don't know if they're going to be likely to share that. So the assumption is if you're doing a good job, you're doing kind of evidence-based work, however that is, that they're going to go and review that. So how, how, how do you yeah, make, make I think Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I, can't, I can't say that I've, I've, I've worked with payers, but I'll tell you what our people have done is, is be proactive about it, right? Like, like reach out to your reps, like say, how do I get involved in these value-based programs? Let me show you my outcomes that I have and, and that I, we are hanging our hat on. We're proud of these. Um, it's okay to boast, right? It should be like your, your CV. You should, be, you should be putting it out there and, and really glad to share those, those population health metrics. And, and, and I'm not saying that we should be sharing what you did with Steve, of course. I hope this is all pretty obvious, but, but when you're looking at your case, outreach and try to talk to your, your reps at the, the pairs for and see how can you get into value-based arrangements. Okay. So the reps are the key. I think, and the last question I'll ask is uh, knowing that we're evaluating, uh, looking at healthcare records and APIs for anybody that's out there. It's kind of like if you're building anything you want to do, your website, which, and, uh, and we'll kind of, I think it's a great for us to do a future podcast on APIs, but it's basically, if you need X, Y, and Z done on your website, you can either go create it yourself or someone may already have that done and you can just plug it into something, almost like adding an addition to your room. You need it, it's this kind of thing, you just plug it in. So that said is, you know, if, we're, if we wanted to use NeuroFlow and uh, do you, are you guys an API? How does that plug in? What does that cost look like for us uh, who's not in the medical field? And, yeah, yeah, uh, we do have an API, right? And and how our engineers always explain it to me is it was we have the piping, we have the outlet ready, right? Like we're ready to plug in. Um, we use a fire standard, and and um, we uh, we certainly are able to pretty much integrate with most systems. Um, the question of cost is always going to come up, and and certainly it's it, that's going to depend, right? Because um, our plumbing can be straightforward, or our outlet can be can be pretty standard, but. The, your plug might be more complicated. So I think it largely depends on, on the EHR or what we're trying to integrate with. Um, and another factor to consider is, you know, how many people actually use that system. So, you know, if we're integrating into an EHR, that's going to benefit, you know, lots of folks. And of course, it's going to be much cheaper for us to, to drive down the cost because it's going to benefit more people beyond just that single customer. Um, so I think, I think there's lots of standing questions there, but a conversation we're always willing to have because we want to really be closing the gaps to, to be able to provide behavioral health care in a, in a physical health setting. That's very helpful. Thank, thank you, Matt, for that. And where can our listeners find more information on NeuroFlow? Sure. Uh, I mean, my recommendation, and, and this, this seems like a shameless plug, is, is to follow us on social media. Um, and the reason why I say that is not so much to follow the great stories. Uh, one just came out today. We're launching with Prudential Financial to take care of a disability population. Um, but more importantly is like the comics and the non-news that we share. Um, our Instagram is awesome. Uh, so, so totally check it out. Um, 
you know, we, our team just does a great job just, just thinking about not just, not just plugging Neuroflow, but thinking about how can we help other people as well. So, uh, so check us out on social media. We're on pretty much all the platforms. Uh, I think we're like Neuroflow Live or on, on, on uh, Instagram. So um, we're around and, and there'll be lots of news to share in the, in the coming months. Great. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time today. This was very helpful and I'm sure our listeners really enjoyed it. So thank you. Great. Thank you guys. Wonderful. Thanks everyone for tuning into the Barrier Breakdown. Everyone, we hope that you stay safe and healthy. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Listeners can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events, check out our website, cbicenterforeducation.com, our Facebook pages, Cognitive Behavior Institute and CBI Center for Education, as well as our Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute and our Twitter at CBI underscore Pittsburgh. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We hope you'll tune in for another guest next week.